From Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington, D.C., you're listening to a special series of the HPS Insights podcast on how to get a job in D.C., hosted by HPS partner Matt McDonald. Matt oversees recruiting at the firm and has brought together academic leaders, career experts, DC insiders, and HPS associates for a series of episodes on how to succeed in the DC recruiting process. It's the spring of 2021. Here at HPS, our new associates and analysts are about to graduate and start their new jobs in a couple of weeks. Graduation can be both exciting and nerve-wracking in normal times, and this year it's happening in the pandemic, or at least at least the tail end of a pandemic, hopefully. Um, so as we thought about the new class coming in, we wanted to put together a series for those who are interested in moving to D.C., working in politics, working in policy or government. Um, and our hope was to give new graduates or, or current undergrads even a little bit of a better understanding of how that process works, how to approach it, how to get your foot in the door. To kick off this series, we wanted to start with a little bit of the university perspective and get some tips of how to think about approaching jobs in DC and how to make the most of your time in school as you're thinking about that. We are fortunate to have three guests with us today who are perfect for this conversation. Ian Solomon is the Dean of the Batten School of Leadership and Public Policy at UVA. Lynn Halton joins us from the University of Michigan where she runs the Public Service Intern Program. And finally, Sadie Paulin, who coordinates internships out of the Institute of Politics at Harvard. I, I have to start this conversation by saying that you are all doing something very right because we have new hires coming in from all your schools. So congratulations. Now, now I have to figure out uh, what it is that you are doing right and the, the magical advice that you are giving to all of your undergrads. Um, Ian, I, I guess I'll start with you and just kick it off. Generally, you, you're, you've got uh, students at Batten who are going to be coming to DC in a little bit and, and students who are, who are thinking about either internships or broader careers. How, how do you frame up this, this choice for students and how they should be thinking about these types of opportunities? Great. Well, well thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. And it's very pleased to be part of this conversation um, today with Sadie and Lynn about uh, thinking about opportunities in DC. Also want to uh, thank, you know, uh, Hamilton Place Strategies for hiring lots of Batten graduates. Um, we have great students and, and they seem to learn a lot with you. And I think that's a big part of it. Their learning process continues. It's not as if we do everything while they're in school and then they're fully formed. No, it's their early jobs like those at HBS where they really learn how DC works and learn how to make a difference and to be valuable to different organizations. I think DC often gets a bad rap as a place of just, you know, uh, you know, no friends except dogs and everyone, you know, uh, going after each other. But one of the really valuable things and interesting and compelling things about Washington DC from my experience is that most people are there because they care really deeply about something. DC is not a city you're gonna choose unless you have some sort of passion. And that's kind of the key advice I give to students is figure out what it is you care about. And, it could, and if that can be what guides you as you choose courses, as you navigate through school, figuring out what's the change you want to create in the world. What are the issues where you are passionate to, to develop expertise? What are the people you're passionate to spend time around because you care about what they're doing? If you can isolate that, I think it's going to lead to a much more rewarding, enjoyable, impactful set of opportunities in Washington, D.C. Do you think, uh, do you find your students typically have 
a narrowed in view of what that is where where are students these days on like on how to figure out what where your passion lies on this stuff no it's a great question because oftentimes they feel like well i like too many things i don't know how to narrow it down so one of the things i i say is hey celebrate that fact wouldn't it be boring if you couldn't find the thing you actually were interested in it's a wonderful fact of life that you're interested in so many different things and rather than thinking that you need every single job to check every single one of those boxes, which I've never figured out how to do, find, start somewhere, right? You might, in the course of your career, you might spend some time in advocacy and then spend some time wanting to go back in the private sector. And then you're probably going to go back to school at some point. So dive in and get started on something. Surround yourself with people where you, from whom you think you can learn and work on issues where you think that you are it's going to not going to feel like work, but going to feel like fun, right? If you can close your eyes and say, what would I do for free? And then go, you'll get hired to do that. You've actually gone a long way with your career already. Um, but no, a lot of students don't yet know what they're passionate about. Um, and part of, I think my job probably for Lynn and Sadie as well is getting people to relax a little bit. Um, not to say they don't have to work hard to make connections and get jobs, but to stop panicking that, oh my God, I haven't figured out the perfect career path for myself because you know what? I'm, 48 years old and I'm still navigating mine. Sadie, how did the, how did the students at Harvard not panic about figuring out their careers? Uh, I think learning how to not panic is something that we learn continually over our lives, mostly through the experience <laughs> of panicking. Uh, and as students- Desensitizing yourself to panicking is the secret. Right? <laughs> and figuring out ways to kind of work through it in a productive way. Um, you know, I tell people that I work with undergraduate students that are super excited and passionate, sometimes in a really focused way, sometimes in a really broad way about politics and public service. And my job, which is fantastic, is to help them figure out what that looks like in the real world. It, and I think that college is great because for the most part, it offers a really supportive environment in which to test something, test an idea you have, test a potential passion, and decide if you actually like it or not. So for summer internships, most students have three summers. Sometimes you also have term time internships. Figure out what you might be interested in learning or doing next. Put it into practice in an environment where you can be like, well, that was three months and I really didn't like it. That's okay. Like no one is that that's great. Do that. Do that a lot of times. So you can figure out, I really like this. I didn't like this. And then when you graduate, you have a better idea of when you read a job description, which are always their own kind of beast, you at least have an idea of what the words mean. And if it's something that could be appealing to you or not, you're just gathering more information um, to make an informed decision when you do graduate and say, I want to go to DC. I want to be part of this. How, how do the how do you think about the I guess kind of the co-curricular side at the Institute of Politics informing some of those choices? It's kind of, it's interesting. I feel like there's a I don't know. I feel like there's a challenge of like it's tough to really uh, DC is accessible in many ways, but you kind of have to be here and be in the thick of it to kind of really get that. How how do you suggest people? I don't know, get involved on campus or things that they could do to help expose themselves to options and ideas on that score? Yeah, well, so the first thing I would say, and I know this is about getting a job in DC, but just a quick note, that politics and public service happens everywhere. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, for our students who are based, well, none of our universities are in DC. So for all of our students, there are state and local politics, there's advocacy, there's political journalism, there is so much that makes up the larger ecosystem of politics and public service, which you can test out. So it might mean working for your campus newspaper and taking up a beat that is public service or politically focused, or it could mean joining, you know, the the college Dems, the college Republicans. For us, it's, you know, I hope the Institute of Politics is part of that for students, but also it doesn't have to be, right? Like there's no one path into politics and public service. So pick the parts that resonate with you and pursue those and be okay, like letting things fall by the wayside because you can't pursue everything at the same time. Um, you know, if you're super into engineering and there's not an intersection of engineering and politics on campus, that's okay. Like pick the engineering club and pursue that. And then maybe do that, like put it into practice in politics over the summer and see where that intersection lies for you as an individual, as opposed to in this environment, that's giving you lots of options, but you still have to find your own way through it. Lynn, Sadie raised a question that I feel like was, um, uh, I went to Dartmouth and uh, that is also not in DC. And there is, somehow it can be a little daunting in DC in particular, just making the leap from kind of where you are in college to to find your way down there. What And, and this, and the issue of kind of, you know, when I first moved to DC, it wasn't my first job, but when I first moved to DC, I was, I was definitely sleeping on someone's couch and I don't think that experience is unfamiliar, but how do you, how do you, how do you counsel students on that path and from connecting from, in your case, Michigan to DC and what, what does that connectivity look like? What is the, what did the university try to do, whether through alumni or, or other stuff? What's, what's the best way to get people comfortable with some of that stuff? I agree with what Sadie said, talking about the student organizations. We have over a thousand at Michigan and having students get engaged in that. Another thing I really recommend is students uh, volunteer for campaigns. So get that campaign experience. They're going to make connections. They're going to learn a lot from, you know, local campaigns up to, you know, national campaigns. The University of Michigan, uh, we have the, like, one of the largest and oldest D.C. summer intern programs. This is our 52nd year of the public service intern program. I ran it as a student coordinator and was in it when I was a student at Michigan. And I'm a very proud alum of the program and was happy to come back and lead it to the 50th anniversary and we set up an endowed scholarship. So um, I know how to change my life. And that program has changed the lives of thousands of students um, that have gone on to careers in DC. So it's, it's like a class all year long. So it's a very intensive program. And that, that results in summer internships. And I gained so much confidence from that because I had never been to DC before. And I went there and had a UN internship, you know. Uh, we also have another program during the academic year. As we mentioned earlier, you have programs that can be, we have a program called Michigan and Washington, where students can gain credit and the experience while they're in D.C. for the academic year. And then in addition, of, of course, you mentioned the alumni. Um, we have a very active alumni club. It got the award for the best one in the country recently for our university. Um, and they do, they conduct a congressional breakfast, which they invite students to attend. And they, they have a newsletter. They invite students to a lot of events. 
a lot of networking going on through the alumni club. And then, of course, through my program, I have a lot of connections. So I'll connect my students up and we have a one on one mentor match so that students can have a mentor in D.C. and connect with them all summer and learn from them. And many of them keep in touch. How do you all think about um, um, I feel like we've touched a couple times on the um, I guess the curricular side of it. The, how, do, how do you how do you all counsel students on major or classes to take it's it's a really interesting I I feel like it's an interesting question these days where there's um I don't know there's simultaneously um lots of different things that you could uh study that would be useful there's always the classical like do what you love and that'll end up in the best spot um but there's a lot of I think that there's a lot of interesting paths people can take these days how how do you all give that advice to students in terms of what they should be focusing their studies on and or I guess particularly for Ian in terms of the the how do you think about the curriculum at Batten in terms of how how you're informing and shaping and changing that curriculum for people who are who are focused on the the public policy space yeah great thanks Matt. I'll, I'll jump in there so our curriculum at the Batten School for Leadership and Public Policy it really tries to prepare students with a range of skills. Basically, we're not entirely sure what their careers will demand of them because, you know, that's also evolving on a, on a daily basis. But we do know that the ability to manipulate data and understand data and not be intimidated by statistics and set up research questions and a range of quantitative and analytical skills is going to be valuable almost no matter what they go and do. We know that interpersonal skills and understanding kind of the dynamics of leadership and social organization and hierarchy and how to navigate in teams and individually and, and, and define the, and define questions and define goals and vision to pursue that is going to be valuable no matter, almost no matter what students go do. We know that particularly for those folks who are studying public policy, understanding institutions of power and how our government and how other governments around the world are set up and function and how they are held accountable and the different mechanisms of uh, advocacy and making getting things done is going to be valuable so we try to you know have a curriculum that gets at all of that but i am going to come back to your first thing which is i want them to do what they love right i, I want them to and I, i'm going to call out you know sadie and institute of politics at harvard right and not even about batten and a talk I went to as an undergraduate with Randall Robinson from Trans-Africa there. I hadn't thought about it in, in many, many years until she started reminding me of those programs. And his work against apartheid inspired my trip to living in South Africa for a year when I was a student. Right? So I'm hopefully all of us at Michigan, at Harvard, and at, at, at UVA and the Batten School, we're creating those moments for our students. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're giving them the broad toolkits. They can do a lot of things. But we're igniting a spark somewhere through the people we introduce them to, through the networks we bring them to, through the internships and career opportunities we create for them and the, and the, and the people who come and speak. We're setting them on fire in some way so that they can go burn their own path. But even your, even your description of kind of those, those toolkits and, and exposures, I, it strikes me as broader than the maybe like stereotypical political science major of of before i mean thinking about data and that sort of stuff is is have you guys found that to be the experience at all of your schools well i I, i'll just say i suspect we all realize that interdisciplinary skills are increasingly valuable so whatever it was when we were all students 
has evolved and requires a higher degree of interdisciplinarity. But I'll, I'll pass it to, to Lynn. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's what I recommend to my students. Do take, you know, make a unique combination. That's what I recommend. Because if, if you're, if you love music, take a music class. If you're, you know, like I know a student who took a meteorology class just to learn about it. Um, I think that those interdisciplinary programs are so important and have students gain the competencies that are required for careers, but also to gain that knowledge on writing a policy report and, you know, getting very hands-on. We have a program in the Ford School, it's the dear old Ford School of Public Policy called the Program in Practical Policy Engagement. So they're looking at very recent current issues going on. And a lot of this year, a lot of um, the research was done on uh, equity and inclusion and social justice issues. And the students do a final presentation about it. And it's fascinating. So I think those unique combinations of classes, you know, a lot of the things that Ian mentioned, but, you know, people like to look at ethics and communication classes, but just a a broad range. So you have a, a great base of knowledge, but then you're gaining the competencies that employers are looking for also. I would just add on, I think there are hard skills that some jobs will require you to have, right? I talk to students who are like, oh, I really want to do this. And it requires me to know R. And I don't know R. Should I go for it? And I'm like, probably probably not. They probably actually want you to know that programming language. But there are many more jobs that don't have those kinds of hard requirements and are looking for you to tell a story about why you want to do it. And particularly with some of your first jobs, an aptitude to learn and to ask questions. And so for me, I think that really starting with curiosity in whatever it is, like if you're asking yourself, why do I want to learn this thing? Why is this my next step? You're going to be much better positioned to tell someone else that story and to tell it with confidence. And your undergraduate career gives you a chance to not only put those curiosity questions into practice, but then to practice telling them and moving that story forward. Like, you don't need to have it all figured out. It's more about telling the why of now and this next thing. Um, So yes, there are hard skills, but I also think that just learning how to continue learning and not always in a formal setting, although oftentimes it is, but sometimes it's not. And so you're like, what book do I read now to learn how to do this thing? Um, And also broadening our definition of what skills are you know, like all the students we're working with now grew up in a digital age in a way that a lot of employers did not. And so to a lot of young people, it's inherent and you don't think of it as a skill, but to employers, it might be. And so kind of reframing your narrative around what you're bringing to a particular role in an organization can be really helpful. One one uh, piece that we've touched on a bit, but that I'd love, love to hear uh, more on is a little bit about mentorship and whether that, you know, whether that's alumni or, you know, your first internship or on campus, how do you counsel students to identify and cultivate mentors? Cause it's, it is one of those things that is maybe one of the more awkward things to do as a young adult. And yet from a, value perspective, you can get a ton 
out of those relationships. I mean, obviously when you, when you have a boss, when you're in an internship, there's a, there's a de facto relationship that happens there that you can take advantage of or not take advantage of. But then there's also, there's lots of ways to explore those possibilities outside of kind of formal jobs. How, how do you all counsel your students on that? I remind my students how much people really want to help them. And I tell them how much joy it gives me to see them thrive, right? And then they're, they're, they're sometimes shy about asking for help or asking for advice or asking for information. And I say, most people actually, if you, if you ask for it and you're responsible about it and you're respectful and you're grateful and you appreciate it afterwards, are really eager to help you. And I have a colleague here, she says, just tell people you just want a little bit of air, advice, information, and referrals, right? You're not asking for very much, just a little bit of air. Um, and, and, you know, again, I, I, maybe my experience was, was special in my life, but so many people volunteered to make connections for me, volunteered to share their experience, volunteered to, to make a phone call, um, far more than I ever deserved. But I find that I do the same thing because I, because, you know, and I'm sure that's true for a Lynn and Sadie too. Nothing we want more than to see our students actually land the job that where they're going to live their best lives, or at least have the next best phase of their very long adventure, which might be 10 different jobs. Um, so I think, you know, students sometimes be encouraged to do it because it is intimidating. Um, but um, I think that's part of our job is, is to model it. And I often say that if you want a job in advocacy, show me you're an advocate, right? If I'm going to hire you for something on DC that requires a lot of research, demonstrate that you actually are someone who does research, right? If you want to, if, if you really say you're passionate about dealing with an issue on gender rights and else, demonstrate to me that passion and some knowledge there, right? Don't just, this goes like to Sadie's question about, or kind of about like, you know, I don't know R. Well, if you want the job, then you should be excited about learning R because if you're not, that may not be the right fit for you. Yeah, I will have to say that in my intern program, the number one skill that the students are afraid to practice and strengthen is networking. They are very intimidated because they've grown up in a social media world where they're on a computer. And here we are, making them write an elevator pitch, making them practice it out loud, and then connecting with an alum because we one of our assignments is to conduct an informational interview. So what I would advise students to do is to do all those things, to create an elevator pitch, be able to speak to, about yourself in a brief you know, 30 seconds, and um, use the programs and the resources on campus to help you do that. There are events or special you know, information sessions with employers, career days, and of course, then the intern programs and the alumni to help connect the students so they can build those networking skills because in DC, it's so crucial. You know, the connections in DC are, are vital to help people with their internship and job searches. So building those networking skills can be developed and we can help you do that. And of course, there are resources on LinkedIn and many other sources to help with that also. Um, I would just add, I think that Oftentimes when we use the word mentor or mentoring as a mentee, people think that it is passive. Like, where's my mentor? Where are they coming to me and asking me the questions? Like, I, I think this is something everyone falls into. I know I have in the past when I've been part of quote unquote mentoring programs and I'm like, cool, I'll wait. And it's not passive. It's an active relationship that requires, oftentimes I think it requires more from the mentee, at least at the beginning to kind of guide the conversation and the relationship to where you want it to be. Um, and again, you definitely get more out of it. If you, 
if you are taking that active role in it too. For sure. Like you can meet for an hour a week and get nothing, or you can meet once a month for an hour and it's super focused. And it's like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. But it requires time and effort on both parts. And I think that starting with curiosity, again, not to be a broken record, but I think that starting with curiosity about the person, about where they are, about yourself and why, um, when I'm talking to students, I'll often say something like, so Lynn, Ian, and I all kind of work in the same field, right? Like we're working with students. We all work in higher education. We have totally different lived experiences and backgrounds. Someone could have three different conversations with us. And I would encourage whoever that person is to think about why you're asking me a question versus why you're asking Lynn a question versus why you might ask Ian a question and where there's overlap, totally fine because maybe you want different perspectives, but where is it going to be different? Because we don't have the same experiences. So demonstrating that, you know, you're doing your own research in a mentor relationship and you're asking informed questions is really, really, uh, it's really important. And then I'll just add one more thing about mentoring. Cause like you said, it's super important People have lives outside the context of which you know them. I remember when I was in sixth grade. I We've all discovered that over the pandemic, right? <laughs> it's really hard, right? You're like, oh, and then your life actually comes into whatever Zoom meeting you're in. Yeah. Um, but the first time I saw my sixth grade teacher in the grocery store, my mind was blown. I was like, you don't live in the classroom? And that continued to happen to me over the course of my life where I realized that this person that I know in a particular context has a relationship or an experience that I'm curious about, but I didn't know about. And that's the idea of unknown unknowns. And what questions are you asking in these relationships, whether it's mentoring or informational interview to get at the things that you don't even know, you don't know, but could be super useful. Yeah. We, you know, one of my, uh, one of my favorite kind of nuggets of like, um, I don't know, people growing up is that, uh, I, there was a study a while ago. It escapes me, but they, it was it had to do with the fact that um, kids exhibit more resilience and grit if they know like family history of like failure and I lost a job and we had to move and this sort of stuff. Where it it kind of demystifies some of that stuff in a way that you know social media and everybody puts all their accomplishments and like proud to accept a job at blah 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 and nobody tells you all the crap that you had to do to get there or the time that like you know you showed up late and got chewed out or whatever you know a great mentorship relationship can offer um example and counsel on the times that aren't great either not just like, you know, how to, how to be shiny and get the right job, but like, that's not going to be the totality of anybody's story. And especially, especially in politics and policy. I mean, like you can be the best staffer in the world, but you're going to work on a losing campaign at, at one point and understanding how to deal with that process, that how to take lessons from that is super, super valuable. And I think how to maintain some, equanimity through that roller coaster of a career, right? Um, I remind students all the time, you're going to have many, many jobs in your career, like it or not, you're going to bounce around lots of different things. And at some point, you'll look back and you'll be grateful for some of those jobs that you did not get. I know I'm very grateful for certain jobs that did not want me, because I can't even imagine my life going down some of those paths. 
Um, and, you know, who knows? I mean, I could all play out the counterfactuals, what that might have looked like. But I am really grateful for both the things that went my way and also for many of the lessons and, you know, narrow misses for things that did not go my way. And it's not sometimes people, I, I think at the front end of your career, you can imbue the people that didn't choose you with some level of consequence that it does not represent. Right. And, and there, I mean, you know, when, in my, when I started working in DC in my twenties, I probably had like eight jobs or whatever. And after the fourth one, it's kind of, you, you know, it doesn't feel quite as consequential every, every time you're doing something. And, and I think that's true in, to some extent in DC of like kicking around a little bit is fine. And it really does give you different perspective on uh, the issues and the policies and the debates that that's valuable. Yeah. Another um, way that students can connect, can create mentors is while they're on campus, because we were talking more about DC, but you know, they can work in a job on campus and their supervisor could become a mentor. I mean, there are many ways on campus to do that. And then one thing that we've done is that I encourage students to do is um, we do a career immersion where we take students to DC and go to employers and they can meet with, with people that work in the field. And it could be, you know, an employer that we've worked with or an alum, and then they could develop a relationship with them and learn from them. So that's, that's another kind of a program that some of the universities have, or even these micro internships where they go in for two weeks and gain experience and, and get a lot of connections that way too. Yeah, I assume none of us would ever go to a doctor that had only studied medicine in a classroom, right? We, 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 and I think the same is, should be true for public policy. And that's why I assume for all of us, we put a big emphasis on experiential learning. Get out and whether it's the two-week internships, the summer internships, our capstones or applied policy projects, by the time you're finished and you're looking for a job, you should have some real world experiences that you can talk about when you've actually gotten your hands a little dirty in the work. And now it may not be across every, it may not be campaign work. It may be only, you know, nonprofit, you know, analytical work, whatever it might be, but something where you, where you bring more than just what you learned in class. Yeah. If the, if, uh, if the solutions were all easy, they'd be, they'd be solved already. Right. You got it. it you know, I think that's part of the, the value of the transition from the classroom to, to the democratic process. It's like, oh, wait, everybody, there's different people with different perspectives who approach this from a different angle. And I hadn't thought about this and I hadn't thought about that. And I didn't know this fact is that there is a, yeah, there's an important discovery process that goes along with all of that. I also, I think one of the great things about a college environment is that people from so many different parts of life with different experiences come together in one place. So this is true, whether it's a visiting fellow or a speaker that's speaking in the forum. Um, thank you, Ian. My colleagues will be super excited to hear that. <laughs> um, or whomever it is, right? But it's also true for your peers that are sitting next to you. Uh, so we run an internship program and students will oftentimes ask me, oh, what's this internship like? And I'm like, well, I can tell you what I know from the outside, but your best source of information is the student who did that internship last summer. They know what the work is like. They know what the work environment is like. They know who you'll be working with, which is super important. Like the culture, the environment, the vibe, they know all of that. And I can only tell you what it looks like from the outside. So ask your peers, ask them what they did, what they learned, what they knew. I think um, 
not to circle back to mentoring, but a mentor doesn't have to be older than you, right? A mentor is someone who's helping you learn something and go somewhere. They can be older, younger, same age. Um, it's, it's a knowledge sharing relationship, not based on age. So I want to, I want to tee up one, uh, one final question, uh, which is particular to this moment, but graduating into the pandemic and, you know, who knows where it'll be in a month. It's been, it's been a roller coaster ride thus far. What is the, what is the particular advice that each of you are giving to students who are thinking about public policy roles, moving to DC at the current, in the current year that you might not have given in the past? How, how are you, how are you and how are they processing and approaching that, that big fat question? Um, I think this is something that, uh, Matt, you brought this up in the beginning, you guys recruit early and there are a lot of organizations in the world that recruit early in terms of the academic calendar in the fall, public service politics is not that field. Um, And so normalizing that and acknowledging for students, this is hard for students who are graduating. This is hard. This is a hard job market and just acknowledging it uh, and then working through it, of course, but I think starting with the acknowledgement that this is hard and you also have to take care of yourself. Um, On campaigns, people talk a lot about like you give everything that you can because you know it has an end date and then you need a break. And oftentimes those breaks are like two to three to however many months, right? Like, because you've worked really hard. And so acknowledging that this too is really hard and it will take time Um, every student I've worked with who wants to be in this field has gotten into the field, but to acknowledge that, you know, it will take work and you have to take care of yourself through that process. And self-care takes a whole lot of different forms, right? Like whatever it looks like for an individual, do that thing, but figure out what it is too. So you can't do it. Cause if I tell you to go for a run and you're like, loathe running that doesn't count as self-care that's like another thing on your to-do list that's not good um i'm not a runner so that would be on my list of like oh thank you for that advice well my whole intern program was conducted remotely this year i've never met my students in person from you know september until now and of course most of the students are going to be interning virtually this summer people graduating including my daughter who just graduated or might be working virtually for a full-time position. So what I've tried to do is really prepare the students to work in a virtual environment. So I created a whole tip sheet for them so that they could advocate for themselves and make sure they're meeting with their supervisor on a you know weekly basis or you know a couple times a week, um, trying to really prepare them for that. And the second thing that I'm trying to have them reflect on this year and what they learned about themselves what actions they took, what skills they developed, what they can identify and speak about that with an employer, because they may be, you know, working virtually for a while. Um, those, those skills are important to take with them in a virtual environment, but they're going to take with them forward into an in-person workplace also. So I've been reflecting on some of the advice I got as a young professional, my first job out of college. And I had a mentor there who used to say, if you don't have a dog, hunt with a cat. 
right? Because you, I go up, show a ball frustrated that the data I was looking for or what I needed didn't exist. And he says, hey, if you don't have a dog, hunt with a cat. And that's really just means you got to be flexible. You got to be able to adapt. You got to be creative. Things are often not going to go your way. You're not going to have that corner office because, hell, you may not have an office. You might have a Zoom box, whatever it's going to be. Um, and try to encourage students to realize that, you know, you know, and I completely agree uh, on both the self-care and learning how to master the new communication we have now and the tips for working in this environment. And also realize that this generation of students is the rare one that's actually lived through a pandemic, right? You have a certain set of gifts that you've learned and skills and, and, and resourcefulness you've developed over the past year. Um, can you apply that in new ways? Can you go, you know, take this interesting cat you didn't ask for and train this to hunt really well? Um, and hopefully, I think, you know, I, we're seeing this now as students are starting to come back together when we're coming, you know, there's a level of connection and closeness and adaptability that this generation of graduates has. And I think, you know, I'm counting on them because this year has also taught us how badly we need good leadership and evidence-based decision-making in the world. Um, I'm counting on them to really lead us out of this mess in a big way. We, um, it's interesting. I, you know, the, uh, we're thinking about this as our new class starts. I think, I think here in DC, I think that we are probably going to be in person with them more than not. It seems to be, um, trending in that direction, but it's an, it is interesting. There's a, there's definitely a silver lining in terms of adaptability and rolling with the punches and figuring out how to make things work. Um, and there's also a piece of, okay, so, so great. If we can get this behind us, that's, that's a nice runway you've got for yourself in terms of both, you know, the economy and your career and all else equal. It's nice to, it's nice to have these lessons, but then get back the, the connection, the human connection that is very much a part of DC and the way things work. So, so I'm optimistic. Hopefully, uh, hopefully your graduates will be, will be, uh, will be doing their networking with handshakes, not with uh, Zoom calls, but we will see. Ian, Lynn, Sadie, thank you guys so much for uh, joining us today on HPS Insights. Thank you for listening to the HPS Insights podcast produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insights and follow us on the web at HamiltonPlaceStrategies.com.